And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, February 23rd, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 338 and 339. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. It'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first of our two big Friday editions of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. We've got a great slate of guests coming in, as always. Florida Representative Corey Mills will be joining us. We'll circle back with Constitutional Attorney Jesse Benal as well. The National Spokeswoman for Donald J. Trump for President 2024, Caroline Levitt, will be here. Former Governor of Missouri, Eric Greitens, will be making his illustrious return to the show. And we'll catch up ahead of the Super Tuesday vote in North Carolina with congressional candidate Sandy Smith. Lots of breaking news. Donald Trump had a late speaking event last night down in Tennessee at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference. We've got all the highlights. The Democrats continue to struggle to get Joe Biden positively shoved back into the news cycle. We'll break it down. Donald Trump had a big town hall with Laura Ingram this week, and we've got a lot of the reaction that came out of that. And we'll do the best of the rest from inside the Beltway and cover some of the headlines. But before we get to any of our interviews, let's jump right into it and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron Noah's here. Yo. We've got a big slate of news breaking as we speak. Joe Biden is meeting with a delegation of essentially Democrat governors up at the White House right now, and they're talking about the border crisis. It seems like they've taken their uh, step from the Senate right now and are going to continue to do a lot of talking and less doing. I also saw on the news this morning there were more catch-and-release busloads being unloaded all over Southern California, especially down in uh, San Diego. Not too happy about that as well. And we've got a busy day. We're less than 24 hours away from the South Carolina primary and Donald Trump moving his record up to five and zero. But uh, before we jump into any of the headlines, Noah, how you doing? Welcome back. It's been a couple of shows since you've been uh, on with us. But listen, the cargo isn't going to forklift itself. That's that's true. I'm, I'm sorry to be MIA, but, you know, there's there's things to pick up and put down. Seems to be the case with the ongoing supply chain issues we have, uh, much like the issues that Joe Biden's been having lately, where he can't pick up or put down a good topic without it just catching on fire and absolutely exploding everybody's face. Um, I think I think topic 1A right now, and, and the biggest issue for the American public still remains the U.S. southern border, but when you look at uh, some of the things Joe Biden did today, like unleashing 500 new sanctions on Russia, if that makes sense, uh, you know, mm. it's it seems like geopolitically we aren't doing too well either. And you, you remember know, how when they were doing the that shit where they were uh, counting the time that Donald Trump was on the golf course and all that kind of stuff, like, by the second, I think they need to do like a comparison between Donald Trump speaking versus Joe Biden speaking because the dude doesn't speak for longer than two, three minutes at a time now. He sure doesn't. And, and you want to know what? They've done a pretty good tracker of it on, on a lot of the mainstream news sites. 43% of Joe Biden's presidency has been spent on vacation thus far. And uh, hopefully you'll bump those numbers up to around 50% by the time everybody goes to the ballot box and votes him out in November. <laughs> 
But, you know, th- there's a, just a bunch of stuff going on right now. Big day for the Trump campaign. We're going to be getting a live update from South Carolina. Caroline Levitt, who's on the ground with the team, will be joining us at the end of this segment today. We'll also be catching up on all the Trump legal stuff with constitutional attorney Jesse Benal, uh, one of the Trump surrogates who's a steadfast member of the America First delegation in Congress. Corey Mills will be here. Sandy Smith, who's running for North Carolina's first congressional district and has her big election coming up on Super Tuesday, March 5th, will be joining us as well. And the former governor of Missouri, one of our great friends, Eric Greitens, makes his illustrious return back to Steak for Breakfast, doing a little different stuff than running for office at the moment, but definitely is ready to serve at the drop of a dime. So great slate of guests as always. Let's jump right into these headlines. For those who missed it last night, because the event started late due to inclement weather, Donald Trump made the trip down to the Volunteer State in Tennessee, where he spoke before a large delegation of religious staff and press at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference. Now, he was originally supposed to speak at about 8, 8.30 p.m. Eastern and didn't even get onto the stage until after 11 p.m. So I was watching it in real time out here almost 10 o'clock at night, and he was still speaking live. So this was uh, something that a lot of people probably didn't catch in real time, but we've got the highlights for you. One of the things Donald Trump led into was how... When we fought World War II, we were fighting against an ideology that was trying to take over the world and exterminate anything in its path. He kind of made a correlation to what's going on in the United States right now as we are losing our national identity with our sovereignty on the southern border, with our religious identity when it comes to the persecution of Christians and Catholics throughout the country, what they're doing to the kids and things of that nature. And I thought it was one of his strongest speaking points. I've got the clip right here. Let's check it out. 1944 was the year of D-Day, the Battle of the Bulge, and General Douglas MacArthur's famous return to the Philippines. Please sit down. We'll be here for a little while. (laughs) Thank you. We've got a lot of time. Our country was at war with the enemy and wanted, they wanted to extinguish our way of life forever. It was a very bad time, but here at home, Christians knew that victory depended not only on the force of American arms, but also on the faith in American hearts. And we've got to get more of that back in our country today. We really do have to get more of it back. You know, when you look at the war, that's being waged on the culture here in America, especially against the middle class, Noah. It's not something that is just a right-wing conspiracy anymore. You know, you see parents being charged in really progressive states for things like not providing their children with gender-affirming care, which they're getting manipulated into doing at schools, or even something as simple as not using their children's pronouns. Uh, The rise of all these disgusting books that have made it into, you know, the accessibility for children across the country, And just the way social media has absolutely turned, you know, this generation into an absolute dumpster fire when it comes to all the social stuff. I think when you talk about that and then the removal of any kind of spiritual, especially like Christ-centered stuff that this country was built on, the Judeo-Christian values that the Founding Fathers kind of interwove into the Constitution, we're seeing the results of what that looks like, and it's not something that's a recipe for success. Yeah, we keep seeing it, and it it keeps compounding itself and getting worse and worse. And unfortunately, 
the parents that are trying to do the right thing for their children and they're just trying to make sure that they're not having this weird off the wall deviant stuff get brought into their their wheelhouse when they're trying to learn and just grow as a as as, as a developing child it's it's sick that they have to deal with it but I've said this a couple times before it's making people realize what's going on and it's making more parents realize that hey you know what like I thought I was on this team but this team is actually kind of being a little weird now yeah and you're seeing a lot of moderate democrats kind of move their way back to the middle as you know this new pandering the trans community and the social deviant community that the left the really progressive left is kind of pandering to for votes in addition to our new tens of millions of illegals who are entering the country right now, you know, it's, it's, it seems like they're abandoning a lot of the middle class, old school, blue collar Democrats that would be, you know, ones that may have voted for Bill Clinton or even longer back to people like JFK. Yeah. That's the biggest fucked up thing with the, the left today is that in order to be left today or progressive or whatever the, the new term is for communist, basically <laughs> they, they have to, 100% agree and go behind anything that falls on the opposite side of what the right is doing. So, you know, it's it's not going to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm okay with abortion in certain scenarios. It's no. As soon as the baby sticks a toe out, we can fucking chop its head off. Or no matter what happens in sort in sort of a political protest or whatever uh, scenario, the people on my team with the black backpacks and the face masks, like they're always right, no matter what. They're, and and nothing they do is wrong. They can burn down buildings, they can attack police officers, they can literally kill people, and it's fine. They they should be released without bail. Yeah, I saw there's a big uh, there's a legal debate heating up between the states of Arizona and New York. Uh, there was someone who was wanted for certain crimes in New York who fled the state and ran to Arizona where he committed a murder. He was let go on cashless bail, made it out to Arizona, committed a murder. And next thing you know, he winds up in custody there. So now Alvin Bragg, fat Alvin Bragg, is demanding that he be returned to the state. And so Arizona, he can be released again? Exactly. And Arizona said, yeah, we're not going to do that. And it's, Yeah, no, that's, that's fucking bullshit. Because the only reason New York wanted him back is so they could do their fucking uber lax bullshit slap on the wrist nonsense wait is arizona have the death penalty uh, i'm not sure if they have the death penalty but i know they do have life in prison and they, yeah. s- they said once a ruling comes down in this case regardless of if he's returned to new york or not new york has to adhere to the sentence that he's been given good make them pay for his fucking roman board yeah so i saw that on the news today pretty pretty interesting development uh they're paying of- for everybody else's roman board anyway <laughs> cries in, in VA hospitals and upscale hotels. Ugh. So we've seen a lot of the statues, certain flags, um, icons that this country was built on, whether good or bad, remembrances of our history, um, whether they be achievements or mistakes, removed nationwide throughout the course of the last decade or two. And one of the things that, you know, there was a huge controversy down in Southern California, I remember a couple of years ago, where there was a there's a mountain alongside the freeway and there's a huge cross there. And there was a huge push to remove it. And it eventually, I believe, went all the way to the Supreme Court and the people who were keepers of the cross wound up winning and it's still there. But Donald Trump has drawn a red line in the sand 
And we know what happens when you cross that. He either blows you up on an Iraqi tarmac or, or says he's going to annihilate your whole family. Uh, when it comes to getting back to removing things like the cross from the public eye, let's hear it. The other day, they wanted to take the name George Washington off of school. George Washington. When you lose George Washington, you've just about to hit the bottom. That means everything comes off the names of buildings. Even the name Trump is going to be off the buildings. <laughs> <laughs> there won't be a Trump up there, I can guarantee you that. If Washington can't make it and Lincoln can't make it, I'm going to have a big problem having my name on buildings. <laughs> but no one will be touching the cross of Christ under the Trump administration. I swear to you, that will never happen. Never happen. And we could all remember what happened during the Summer of Love. It got so bad with the defacing and destruction of public property, which included statues of leaders that have, you know, kind of propped this country up to be what it is. Donald Trump made it to where if you're caught doing any kind of damage to any of these monuments, it was like a minimum five or ten years in jail. And they immediately stopped. Like the people that were trying to rip Andrew Jackson down from in front of the White House literally were climbing down just as fast as they climbed up when they heard what the consequences were going to be for things like this. And I think when you add that kind of protection to, you know, religious icons like the cross, I, I think it, it's only a positive thing. You can't get any negative out of it. I mean, we've got like, you know, the Church of Satan now setting up their altars and state capitals around the country and having like, you know, join Satan Bible club after school and in a lot of public schools and stuff like that. So why shouldn't we have the cross more prevalent and, and in public eye in a time when it seems like the nation really needs it? I think the funniest part was when those people were tearing down those statues and tore them down onto themselves and got seriously injured. I think those people should have had to pay like three times as much for their medical care. There was a couple of uh, absolute bangers, and I'm talking about these, <laughs> their heads hitting the floor when they fell from the statues. There were a couple. I mean, the one in Columbus Square uh, was oh, my yeah, favorite that was one. good. That guy hit the uh, base of the statue and then landed directly on his head. But, you know, one of the biggest things is I think the the underlying tone of this entire and you can't say that it, they got brain damage because it was already there. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the thing with the, with these statues and stuff like that. And that was the thing. They defended their right to do so because all these statues are symbols of colonialism and white blah, 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 and all this other stuff. But really, like it or not, whether or not this was a positive figure in the, in the United States history or a negative figure because they were a piece of shit to some extent, like those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Like that, there's a reason why there's a quote about that. And boy, man, every time I get bored and I look up, how did Rome or why did Rome fall? <laughs> we get Jeez. we get to that. You know, there's the correlations nowadays are getting ridiculous. Like conscripting foreigners into the military. It doesn't matter what like resource you look at, whether it's a book or or an online resource. Number one is always unmitigated, unregulated. Immigration. Illegal migration. And uh, just this wild. You know, I think we're going to touch on this with with Governor Greitens when he comes back later. I know the guy's a historian. He's been all over the world, both as a Navy SEAL and in a humanitarian context. And I think it'd be good for our listenership to get a little insight on this. Bringing Christ and Christianity back to the public level with Donald Trump in office is some 
Listen, Donald Trump empowered the religious leaders when he did his first term in office. It also helped snowball the eventual overruling of Roe v. Wade in the historic Dobbs case as well. And this was one of the items he touched on, is bringing Christianity back and making it great again. Let's hear it. You have men, you have women, and you have religion. If you look at it, you have more than the men, you have more than the women. You have such power. But you really, you weren't allowed to use that power, and you're now allowed to use it. I get in there, you're going to be using that power at a level that you've never used it before. It's going to bring back the churchgoer. I mean, you have to see. I don't like the charts when I see charts where they're going in the wrong direction. We don't like that. Yep. We're going to bring it back. And I really believe it's the biggest thing missing from this country. It's the biggest thing missing. We have to bring back our religion. We have to bring back Christianity in this country. You know, and there was a lot of people who were disenfranchised after the uh, COVID pandemic because when you're not supposed to do anything except obey God's word as, as church leaders, a lot of these pastors, you know, in the Catholic sense, the priests who shuttered their doors, who forced masks, who said you needed to be vaccinated or boosted to attend service, it disenfranchised and I think disheartened a lot of churchgoers who might not necessarily have gone back to the physical churches yet, even though we're, you know, what now, almost three years out of the pandemic? Uh, yeah, three three years. It feels like it's been shorter because you still see people wandering around with masks on in their cars. You know, I saw somebody at uh, work yesterday, and he walked past me, and he had a scarf around his neck and was masked up. His hat was pulled down, and I said, you sick? And he stopped and he like looked at me for a second and I like shook my nose and I said, are you sick? And he's like, no, everybody else is. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> I just oh, walked really? Away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, and that is the brain deficient. Like that's what's going around. That's, that's what these people actually think. That's amazing. No, it certainly is. And, and embarrassing for them. Um, Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, no matter what platform it's on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're subscribed to Steak for Breakfast. That means you hit the plus follow button or subscribe on whatever application it's on, and that it's downloading to your electronic device. It helps out the podcast big time, brings us up in suggestions, massages the algorithms, and in the case of Apple Podcasts, that always elusive top 100. In addition, on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram is where you'll find our accounts. Follow them, hit the notification bell, never miss out on anything Steak for Breakfast. Donald Trump was an extremely positive, I think a plus positive president in regards to his pro-life record. Uh, mm -hmm. The crown jewel of that was obviously the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But, you know, Donald Trump was also the first president ever to physically attend and speak at, not via recorded statement, not via, you know, a satellite on the television screen. Donald Trump went to the pro-life march in Washington, D.C. And, you know, the way he feels about this, and I know he's an old school guy, Unless it's like the big three, Donald Trump is just a pro-life president. And, you know, he, he hasn't tied himself to an amount of weeks or what he thinks is appropriate. You know, the, the, the big component of the Dobbs ruling is that it send it back to the states. Now, that's something that we've been saying on this show for years now, especially when it comes to all these candidates. Donald Trump's laid out the blueprint for anyone that's running for an office. You have your own stance. And then you say what the law is. 
And then you don't tie yourself to six weeks, 15 weeks. Am I 100% against it? Am I 100% for it? Is it anything outside of the three big circumstances? And then you just have your view. Then your actions as a House Republican, as a Senate Republican, or as a president will dictate just how pro-life you are on, you know, like the meters that all of the agencies and and religious entities weigh these candidates on. He brought up his record at the uh, conference last night, and let's hear a little clip from him now. Took historic action to protect the unborn like nobody has ever done. Nobody has ever done it. Thank you. I reinstated and expanded the Mexico City policy. That's a big one. Ronald Reagan didn't do it. Nobody did it. Nobody did it like us and was the first president ever to attend the March for Life rally in Washington, D.C. It was a great honor. He'll do it again. And I was able to bring this issue for the first time in 54 years back to the states where everybody agrees on both sides. Everybody agrees that's where it should be, back in the states. It was so important. Everybody on both sides. It seems like a big win for the religious community and, and for Christians and Catholics everywhere. Obviously, a huge win in the Supreme Court via his appointments for Donald Trump. Well, there was one clip that literally had nothing to do with Donald Trump's speech at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference last night, Noah. But since you haven't been here in a couple episodes, and you are the, the, I guess, the creator of this phrase that's now being used in all of the Trump speaking events, I brought the clip which you have coined. I'm going to play it for our listenership now. Let's go. I will stop the disaster known as Bidenomics, and we will return to Meganomics, putting America first at all times. We will stop Biden's inflation nightmare. I will cut your taxes and regulations, and we will drill, baby, drill. Our, our... uh, Maybe you've heard of it. We have more Hmm. than anybody, remember that, more than anybody. Liquid gold, I call it. Now, Noah... I mean, I liked. I would like to take credit for it. You have to. And I know I did say it, <laughs> but I mean, it's and not to be racist, but it is two plus two is four with that kind of thing. Oh boy, we're gonna get some uh, thanks for all the one star reviews. Now I have to pander for five star reviews <laughs> from our new listenership that's coming into the show. And, and no, it, it's funny though. I, I I remember when you said it. I think it's awesome that it's being used on the uh, campaign trail as part of. I mean, what else would you counter Bidenomics with? Trumpnomics really doesn't go as good as Maganomics. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you uh, think about Don-nomics. the way... What is Donomics? Donomics. <laughs> he might like that one a little bit better. No, I think Maganomics is pretty awesome. You know what? We're going to ask Caroline Levitt when she jumps in with us in just a few minutes. Last clip I've got of Donald Trump at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference from last night down in Tennessee is, is of course, the closeout. A little bit different than the uh, rally types or town halls that he does. He doesn't get everybody as hyped up uh, because, you know, we're lighting candles and things of that nature. But let's hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, with your help and God's grace, the great revival of America begins on November 5th, twenty. 20- 24. I like that. It's a great revival. So again, I want to thank you, and I want to thank the National Religious Broadcasters. I cannot state strongly enough what an incredible job you do. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. 
But you know, he's still going to hit the Trump at the end of his speech to the National Religious Broadcasters Association. And uh, overall, no, what do you think? Pretty good, positive, and wholesome message delivered by the 45th president right there. I mean, what, what message has he had lately that hasn't been positive and all that? I mean, come on. No, it's, it's the truth. And uh, when you look at what the alternative is of what you're offering as Donald Trump compared to whether you see it on your television screen or when you walk out into your house every day into uh, the jungle, which is now our country, it's... Uh, Joe Biden's jungle? Not that kind of a jungle. <laughs> well, that's what he said. He didn't, want, he didn't want his kids to grow up in a racial jungle. Man, that clip's been making it around. Dude. Jeez. I don't know what they're going to do with that guy. We're going to be talking about that next. You know, they're going to bury him. That's what they're going to do with him. They're going to bury him because he's a corpse. They've really been having a hard time of positively spinning anything he's doing. Dude, he fell up the little stairs like two days ago. And, you know, I'm sure you heard also, Noah, that they had to put, well, I don't know what they actually did with him, but they sent Commander, the German Shepherd, to the farm because he had bit and drew blood on as many as 24 different Secret Service agents over the course of the last two years. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that that dog. I mean, I'm I'm hoping nothing bad happened to it, you know, because usually they put dogs down after they do that. But mm-hmm. I mean, get, get a dog trainer or something. Give them a muzzle. I mean, I mean, come on. I see all the people putting out the cringy statements too. If you can't train a dog, how is he going to talk to Xi and Putin? I mean, that's completely retarded rhetoric right there i, I don't well know. yeah because he's not going to be the person training the dog he doesn't have fucking time for that shit the dog to take they were gag gifts that's what they are these aren't joe biden's dogs like he takes home and like has sits on the couch these dogs they're live props. In, yeah they're props to make him look like more of an all-american family guy which is you know there was even a story came out today that uh saying keeping keeping your sex life going is how he's had such a great marriage with jill biden for 47 years <laughs> yeah Gross. My stomach literally just turned. I said it's like Skeletor and Skeletor banging each other. It's like a fucking can of sardines. Oh, man. Well, on that note, we're getting ready to jump in with the national spokesperson for Trump 2024, Caroline Levitt. But before we do that, a first check-in with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family, has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right. Joining us first on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She's the 2024 National Press Secretary for Donald J. Trump as he runs for re-election. Miss Caroline Levin, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, you guys. Well, we are so glad to catch up with you, and it's been busy. We just uh, previewed the highlights from the town hall that Donald Trump did in South Carolina the other day. It seemed like it was another ratings boom, huge audience in person, and uh, it's one of the things we've really hit on on the show, Caroline. I think you've touched on it with us, too. 
the interactiveness level with the audience, uh, whether you're talking about the focus group who going in, they had a bunch of undecideds who overwhelmingly felt the message that Donald Trump said afterwards is resonating with them to some of the really heartfelt questions that he was asked by the audience. You know, they say they miss him and how much this country's gone down the tubes. And he had the family of, uh, you know, their daughter was killed by an illegal immigrant. And it's just one of those things where, his messaging right now is is so on course and on pace to just continue to drive him towards this nomination. And, and when you look at the way that the nation is kind of surrounding themselves around Donald Trump and adding to that protection that he needs right now, it's it's, it's something that it's hard to put into words, but I, I think you'll be able to describe it for our listenership since you're on the ground and with the team so much. Yeah, absolutely. President Trump has never been in a stronger position to win. And we feel that enthusiasm and grassroots support on the ground every single day, no matter where he goes. You saw it at the town hall in South Carolina, where the crowd was so energetic and applauding with every line that he said, especially his best line of the night, in my humble opinion, which was success will bring unity to this country. The people loved it. And you just, you see the organic support everywhere he goes. And you look at Joe Biden, who sits on the beach in his home state of Delaware, and not a single person even thinks to go up to him, I don't know, maybe say hello or shake his hand. He's the sitting president of the United States, and he's able to just sit on a public beach and relax, and no one even cares to bug him. Donald Trump would never, ever in a million years be able to do such a thing because he's so beloved by the people. He's truly the people's president. And that's what's going to propel us to victory in November. The Democrats are throwing absolutely everything they can at President Trump, at our campaign, you know, legally, obviously, with the lawfare that we see going on in court systems across this country. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's the people who will reelect him. And we are so excited for a huge victory in November. And we're working around the clock 24-7 to make sure that happens. You know, I do want to touch on a couple of those things. First one, let's dive into the lawfare. You know, we saw the ridiculous ruling not too long ago in the E. Jean Carroll case. Uh, there were people going in that were saying that she was looking for somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 million, maybe even as much as 20 once the proceedings got underway. She winds up walking away with a ruling. Now, I don't think after the appeals process she's going to see a dime of this money, but I'm not a legal expert and can't really weigh in on that too much. But almost $84 million, absolutely ridiculous. Same thing with the Manhattan building civil case that was brought against him. They call it a fraud case. We really don't try to frame it that way because as so many of the legal experts and, and people who work in the building community have come on to the news since this ruling come out and sees, they don't see any of the frauds. None of the banks do, none of the victims do because there were no victims. And, and, and all the things that were kind of you know unraveled during the course of this court. So they were saying if Donald Trump is, is fined anywhere between you know, 80 and $100 million, this will be one of the most ridiculous rulings we've ever seen uh, for this type of a case. Boom, $350 plus million. Uh, you know, Don Jr. and Eric also got, you know, compensatory fines as well. And, and, and when you see this stuff going on and how partisans, the AGs and the DAs and the judges have all been, you see the unraveling down in Fulton County, Georgia, over the course of the last few weeks with Fonnie Willis and her case down there. But this lawfare is just something like, I don't know how this guy gets out of bed and puts his shoes on in the morning and, and hits the golf course and gets on a plane and does a rally and then winds up in a courtroom. And, you know, before the day is over, he's buying everybody Chick-fil-A and, and, and flying back home to do it all over again. And that's the honest to God's yeah. truth. But, you know, the lawfare that's been waged against him right now, it's got to be taking a toll. But uh, it seems like he's looking stronger than ever. 
Well, I can tell you working for the man, it's not taking a toll at all. He is stronger than ever. He's more positive than ever. And he's more determined to fight for this country than ever. Of course, it's incredibly frustrating, infuriating, and and, and just terrible to see what's going on in these cases. Uh, but President Trump is fighting because he loves this country and he loves its people. And we understand what the truth is. We're on the side of truth and we're hopeful that ultimately it will prevail. He has the absolute best legal team in the business and they're fighting all of this tooth and nail until justice and truth do prevail. Uh, in the meantime, of course, though, it is infuriating. But the good news is the American people see this for what it is. You mentioned the Eugene Carroll case. I mean, that woman is disgusting she's clearly lying through her teeth and after being awarded this ridiculous sum of money even though president trump has consistently claimed and proved that they this never happened he never even met that woman she goes on msnbc and actually has the audacity to say that she's going to buy rachel maddow a private jet in a new house yep. i mean these are not people that are that should be taken seriously uh but the court system is doing everything it can to attack President Trump. It's election interference. They're trying to remove his name off of the ballot. They're trying to weaken him financially, drain him of his resources. The decision in New York as well by Judge Ngoron to find the Trump organization nearly $400 million is a travesty of justice. And that should scare every small business owner in America. I come from a small business family. And to think that the le legal system can do this to someone as powerful and as wealthy as President Trump, what, what can they do to our you know, family-run small businesses just because they don't like what we believe in? And that is communism. We no longer have a capitalism free market society. New York made that very clear in that ruling. The American people get it. That's what powers President Trump through. He understands the people get it. That's why you see him holding rallies with more enthusiasm and support than ever. That's why he's leading Joe Biden in the polls, especially in the key battleground swing states. And he's leading with Hispanic Americans bigger than ever. African Americans are leaning his way more than they ever have for a Republican president. Uh, and we're due for a big victory because people see this for what it is. And it's a two-tier system of justice that cannot stand. No, that's the truth. You know, I saw earlier this week Donald Trump got over the 50% the mark in, in the national poll for the first time this cycle. And we haven't even hit the general election cycle yet. But but jumping into this primary right now, you know, in, in 24 hours, we're going to be counting those delegates that we get when we probably beat Nikki Haley by historic numbers. Everybody reacted it probably in the same way over here in America first when she had her like campaign update this week was one of the most cringiest things ever everything from her trying to you know embody Leonardo DiCaprio and saying I'm not leaving to the crocodile tears she sheds over you know the, her husband's deployment and and everything else she kind of trying to uh, opine on over the state of this race or lack thereof I don't get it, except for the fact that, you know, she, we, we tabbed her as Hillary Clinton 2.0. She uses a lot of her talking points. Uh, now that she knows that there is no path to victory, not only in South Carolina, but in any state for the rest of the primary season, she's just going to try and disenfranchise him, saying he's like, you know, uh, like a pre-Alzheimer's patient and then bring up the lawfare all the time. When, when she knows that this is all pointed towards Donald Trump in a negative fashion. And for the fact that she worked for the man in his administration and he didn't do any of these things that the, you know, these radical DAs and, and judges and, and lawyers are, are throwing at him right now. What, what do you think this lady's deal is? I mean, she's written books. She could probably go commentate on any new show she wants at this point, uh, but she still wants to just stay in the race. Do you think it's just a money driven thing or, or just another facet of election interference? 
I think at this point, Nikki Haley has become a useful tool for the Democrat Party and the Never Trump establishment movement in this country. She is now bought and paid for by them. Some of the biggest donors to her campaign are Democrats, many of whom have also contributed to the political persecution and lawfare that is being waged against President Trump. And so she has become a useful vessel for them. They're in her ear pushing her to do this because she is attempting to weaken President Trump. And every day she's in this race, she's helping Joe Biden. She is literally a walking in-kind contribution to the Biden campaign. She's single-handedly preventing the Republican Party from fully unifying around President Trump so we can turn our focus 100% of it to Joe Biden. Nikki Haley doesn't have a pathway to win. She never has. She knows that. She's smart enough to recognize that it's mathematically impossible for her to receive the amount of delegates necessary to become the nominee. She is doing this to help the Democrat Party, period. And we should remember this in future election cycles when she inevitably tries to run for president again as a Republican. She is not a Republican. She's a Democrat. She's just as bad as them. Uh, And it's a shame to see. No, I agree with you there. And, you know, we see the same kind of behavior over the course of this week. You know, I hated, just to be honest with you, and and this is my opinion, not yours, Caroline, Ron DeSantis, when he got out of the race and he really didn't throw a, a... like a lovely endorsement of President Trump or, or an honorable one. It was like, I signed the paper, so we're going to get behind the candidate. But, you know, ever since then, you've just seen like people from his campaign and now him this week with that phone call when he was talking to private donors saying, you know, well, I wish we would have done this, that, or the other thing, but we didn't get a lot of stuff done. You know, the fact of the matter is, and especially with a lot of these men and women who worked in Congress or up on Capitol Hill in any kind of component, whether they were governor or a senator, and, and they had some pull in the beltway level, Every single person that wants to criticize Donald Trump for one of his hires or one of his decisions or or the way things went down during his administration had the opportunity to go and talk to him and say, you want to know what? Somebody like James Comey probably isn't the right guy you want, but all you have to do is Google search anybody from like Ron DeSantis to Chris Christie and everybody in between and put in like Ron DeSantis endorsed James Comey, Chris Christie endorsed. And then you see all these people back the president's choice and then want to armchair quarterback in future cycles where it benefits themselves. I think uh, there's been a lot of telling matters in this election cycle. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Donald Trump's been the same person like publicly for the last 50 years and, and there's been mm-hmm. no change. He has the same attitude. He's got the same business mentality. Loyalty means right. a lot to him. And, and I think we, we've really been able to deconstruct a lot of the narratives that these candidates, number one, have built against Donald Trump. And number two, we'll try to use in future elections where I don't think the American public is just going to buy it anymore. You're absolutely right about a few things. First of all, on Ron DeSantis, just yesterday, he was actually bashing President Trump in a call with reporters. And I mean, how pitiful, you know, Ron should be focused on how he can be part of the Make America Great Again movement, how he can help fire Joe Biden. Yet he is sitting there bashing the presumptive nominee of our party after he failed miserably in his campaign. It's really sad to see uh, from that perspective. But in terms of President Trump, Ron, you're 100% right. The man has been saying the same things about the decline of America for 40, 50 years, about how our adversaries have been taking advantage of us and ripping off the American taxpayer, how there's a corrupt elite in Washington, D.C. on both sides of the aisle that goes to Washington saying they'll do one thing and then they always do the other. And he continues to be the greatest disruptor of this system ever. And that's why they hate him, because he threatens their power and control. He threatens the power of the bureaucracy, of the uh, executive 
branch and of really the deep state, as we call it. And it's true and it's very real. And they, the, the administrative state, they want control over we the people. President Trump is standing in the way of that. And that's why they're doing everything they can to stop, stop him. You know, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's something huge that we're always, you know, we try to provide as much comprehensive coverage of it as possible. We bring in the absolute experts, everyone from people who are on the ground constantly, like Jorge Ventura from News Nation, all the way up through the former acting ICE director and someone who we hope heads DHS in the next Trump administration, Tom Holman, who's a regular guest on this show. And that's taking care of this border. We have such a great relationship with a lot of the congressmen and women and, and senators who come through this show, and they've pretty much laid it out for the American public with the state of the power buildup in Washington, D.C. right now with Chuck Schumer leading the Senate, obviously Joe Biden in the White House, and a two-vote margin in the House of Representatives. We're not going to get the comprehensive border security that we need to you know, ensure that Donald Trump gets off on the right start at the beginning of his next administration. However, with the team that's getting kind of assembled in the background as far as players who are going to be helping out in the next administration and working in positions to get that border secure again and then take care of all the problems, over 10 million of them that we've let in since the start of the Biden administration, how do you guys feel going into this, how big of a task this is? This is probably going to be like the crown jewel of Donald Trump's next presidency his next term in office this getting the border secure and then proving everybody wrong with saying that we can remove a lot of these people who have come in illegally and just circumvented the systems partially because of the way it's set up but a lot of it has to do with the players that are involved now you know people like Alejandro Mayorkas who was impeached in the house last week he worked in CIS during the Obama administration and completely destroyed part of that system, which is like where you try to enter the country illegally and how you could stay here essentially forever. And now as the head of DHS, he used those kind of sabotaging methods that he uh, implemented during the Obama administration to make sure that not only the 4 million people who were waiting in Mexico because of the Trump administration policies came in on day one, but every single other person that's come in since. Well, securing the southern border is going to be President Trump's number one priority. He said that time and time again uh, on day one. He will shut down the border. He will immediately begin executing the largest mass deportation operation in American history, empowering local and federal authorities to round up all of the illegal immigrants, as many as we possibly can, that have invaded our country uh, since Joe Biden took office and to return them home. Your first act in America cannot be to break our laws. They need, we need consequences in this country. And for the past three and a half years, there have not been any. That's why you see the entitlement, the sick entitlement of these illegal migrant thugs in American cities every single day. They have killed young American children. In the case of South Carolina, uh, there was a three-year-old girl, Madison Hines, who was driving in a vehicle with her with her mother on a Sunday afternoon, an illegal immigrant driving drunk T-boned them and took that little girl's life. Yep. She was deported under the Trump administration and returned under the Biden administration. That could be anyone's child. Think about the child you love most in your life. That could be your kid. We cannot afford four more years of Joe Biden's open border policies. How many more American children and families need to be killed and destroyed uh, in order for something to change. Biden has 
the executive authority to shut down the border today. He refuses to do so. It's the greatest dereliction of duty from any American president in history. Frankly, he should be impeached for it alone. Uh, But President Trump will get it done. He will secure the border. He will launch the largest mass deportation operation in history and sanctuary city policies where he can and amnesty and catch and release uh, and protect American citizens, period. I think that's the big thing right now. You know, one, in, in the last couple of rallies that he's done, he started off with the Biden migrant crimes, but then shortened it to like migrant crimes. We really like that one here on the show. I'm not going to lie. Caroline, we don't want to put words in the president's mouth. We came up with Maganomics. We said it on the show a couple months ago because I was making fun of Bidenomics. My co-host, Noah, who I'm going to give him credit for, even though I could take it all because he's not here during this interview. He blurted it out and then we heard it on the campaign stage. You know what? The best part about it is, is that these messages are really hitting home with the American people. And that's why we like to talk directly to you, because you are the person that are delivering these messages on behalf of the president all over the country in South Carolina tomorrow. We're going to be live linking the campaign in the show description today. We're going to be looking to help out in Michigan and Montana and Idaho as soon as we get past South Carolina and direct all of our followership there. Anyone that wants to follow you, Caroline, though, where can they check you out? Sure. Go to K Levitt, L-E-A-V-I-T-T-N-H. I'm on Twitter, Truth Social, Instagram, and I always love hearing from your audience. Thank you so much. You guys are the best, and we'll talk soon. We certainly will. This is the National Press Secretary for Trump 2024, Ms. Caroline Levitt. Thanks for joining us today. Good luck tomorrow, and have a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much. Do we know exactly what the president is considering here with his executive pen? Yeah, it's changes, John, to who can say they qualify for asylum. Right now, anybody that makes it to the border can at least try to say that they are here for asylum. They there is talk here about making it so that you can only do that at a port of entry. But whatever these changes may be, it represents a huge change from where this White House was one year ago. He has done more than any prior prior president to secure the border and build a safe, orderly, and humane immigration system. And that's what the president has been able to do. A White House official is telling us today no executive action, no matter how aggressive, can deliver the significant policy reforms and additional resources Congress can provide and that Republicans rejected. We continue to call on Speaker Johnson and House Republicans to pass the bipartisan deal to secure the border. And... Maybe this is driving some of the urgency. The U.S. BP chief, Jason Owens, tweeted over the weekend, uh, agents across the southwest border apprehended 10 undocumented subjects with violent criminal histories, including murder, rape, and drug or weapons trafficking. So far in fiscal year 24, they've apprehended 6,400 subjects with criminal convictions. This is an election year. Uh, These are election year antics. Congress has not passed any border laws. So the crisis at the border is a direct result of his 60 plus executive actions that he signed. And this is so different than what we've been told by President Biden. He had been saying for months that he has done everything he can do. Apparently, that's not true. John? All he has to do is go back and look at the things that he rescinded on January the 20th, 2021, and he'd have an idea of what he can do, Peter. The president of the United States has not been granted additional powers uh, by, like, the Constitution since he took office. So the powers have been there the whole time. They are just choosing now to use them. Yeah. Really interesting spin as we're jumping back into the news here. And before we do, no, I'm sure you could agree. Awesome catching up with Caroline Levitt. She is... 
just a few hours away now from joining Donald Trump down in South Carolina, where they're holding a huge final rally, a commit to vote rally ahead of the South Carolina primary, which is tomorrow. And nice. Always a pleasure to see her. Yeah. And, and she had some just great information for us today, giving some commentary on some of the legal stuff in addition to everything on the campaign trail, hitting Nikki Haley, but even Meatball Ron DeSantis harder today. It's so glad that he was Meatball Ron again after just, Noah, we called it. We played that Ron DeSantis... Um, it's not an endorsement. He just said, well, I signed the paper, so I'm going to get behind the candidate who's going to win the primary. And then over the course of the last couple of weeks, via his staffers, via his own accounts, and yesterday, via a leaked phone call, he's been talking shit about Donald Trump to everybody that'll listen. So La Savita and Stephen Chong destroyed him on social media two nights ago, and Caroline Levitt let him have it right now when she joined us on the show. So... You know, everybody who uh, gets out of this race isn't going to get behind the president 100%. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, he's got a pretty good team behind him right now. And for people like Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy, Doug Burgum, of course, and, and everybody else who's involved, it, it seems to be working. Uh, you know, Christy Nome, Ben Carson have been on the ground in South Carolina for the entire week. And uh, I, I think we got a good thing going, unlike Joe Biden. So... Apparently, there's been some leaks from the White House that is saying, Weird. yeah, Joe Biden, due to his abysmal poll numbers, is now considering using Donald Trump-like executive authority to shut down the border and change some of the immigration laws, which he executive ordered out of existence on day one of his presidency. And if anybody doesn't see that as just the absolute bullshit, water-peddling nonsense, water-treading water to fucking keep from drowning in this election like there's no fucking way like you have to fucking see that the only reason anything is changing is because he wants to glean more votes from the fucking populace yeah and and with it the prospectus now that joe biden might be using the executive pen to write some of the wrongs he's caused down the u.s southern border and i'm going to go on the record as saying that he's probably not going to do this i think this is just another carrot for the media to chase let's just take into consideration every day that he air quoting now, talks about it, the situation continues to get worse. Well, and yeah, and he's going to talk about it, and the populace on his voting base is going to just think that he's doing it. Well, but, but in all reality, a lot of his voting base is probably against any sort of mitigation of this migrant crisis. True story. I, saw, I, I actually have to bring this one up because this one's just too funny. Uh, Wesley Hunt's Instagram. Oh, it was fantastic. Wesley for Texas, illegal alien accused of causing Sergeant Michael Kunovich's death, files civil rights lawsuit claiming limited English skills make him disabled. So you murder differently because you don't understand the language? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, it's, wow. Yeah. Well, Speaker Mike Johnson. Wow. He's MAGA Mike again. Nice. He went down to visit Donald Trump last week uh, when Congress broke. Took some pictures. It's pretty weird. I don't know if anybody else has noticed it, but uh, every time the continuing resolution is about to expire, MAGA Mike takes it over to Mar-a-Lago, Mar-a-Lardo, and has a little <laughs> visit with Donald Trump. And I think uh, he's probably weighing or trying to read the tea leaves on government shutdown, which we'll talk about a little bit later. I think we might be actually having one um, as early as next week. But he put out a statement after this report from Fox News hit the airwaves, and I'm going to read it right now. This is, for, again, from Speaker Mike Johnson. House Republicans have been long sounding the alarm and the catastrophic effects of Joe Biden's open border policies since he began his term. 
Last year, I sent a letter to the president to demand and take immediate executive action. He has thus far ignored my demands and the pleas from big city mayors, border state governors, and the American people. Now, and conveniently in an election year, after the president has surrendered the border to the cartels and smugglers, after tens of thousands of Americans have tragically lost their life due to fentanyl poisoning, after countless unaccompanied minors and young people have been subjected to human trafficking, and after the millions of illegal aliens have been scattered around the country by the Biden administration, the president suddenly seems interested in trying to make a change using the legal authority that he had, and claimed he didn't, since day one. Americans have lost faith in this president and won't be fooled in an election year by gimmicks and tricks that don't usually secure the border. Nor will they forget that Joe Biden created this catastrophe and up until now has refused to use his executive power to fix it. These reports also underscore the, just how brazen and intentional Joe Biden has misled the public when he claimed that he has done everything in his power to secure the border. Specifically, the president's alleged desire to invoke Section 212F of the Immigration and Naturalization Act, which the White House has dismissed using for months. It is particularly telling. If these reports are true and the president intends to take action, he can show he's serious by changing more than the asylum policy. He should begin by reinstituting the Remain in Mexico policy and ending the administration's abuse of the parole system, along with other critical reforms. And that's the end of the statement. So what do you think about that, Noah? It's a lot of what you just said, and uh, it seems to make common sense. Speaker Johnson really doesn't paint a difficult picture for you to try and read. He kind of just uh, lays it out there for you to digest. Yeah, he's pretty good at just painting the picture. Like, here's what's happening. I'm going to draw you a diagram. And then you just think about whatever you want after that. How about that? Now, with all just of this, yeah, <laughs> with all this bad news that's been going on for Joe Biden lately, and, and this really kind of blew up two weeks ago when Robert Hur released a report on his special counsel investigation into Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents and materials, talked about his mental decline, et cetera. Democrats have to make a choice. And I'm just going to explain this for everybody that keeps thinking like Gavin Newsom or Elizabeth Warren or maybe even Hillary Clinton or, God forbid, Big Mike, Michelle Obama come riding down on a horse and save the Democrats right now. It's probably not going to happen. The more I think about how bad it would look, even by switching in Michelle Obama, who I can almost confirm has no desire to be in politics and definitely doesn't want to go up against Donald Trump. For them to take the first self-proclaimed African-American vice president and completely throw her out because she's not popular, it just doesn't work with anything that they've said for like the last 20 years. I mean, It's it would, amazing. Amazing. And, and they are pretty much locked into this outside of Joe Biden being convicted of a major crime, which according to Robert Hur, who led the special counsel, said he's not fit to stand trial. So it doesn't look like that's going to happen. I mean, even if these... House Republicans who are investigating the Biden crime family. At this point, does Joe Biden have an argument not to have to stand trial because the special counsel deemed that he was unfit to do so? It's, it's an angle that not a lot of people are talking about, but I was thinking about the other day. And then when you look at um, what the alternatives are, it looks like we might just be stuck with Kamala. So what can you do? Obviously, you're going to continue to destroy Donald Trump's public reputation, albeit lie-filled, which is completely what it is. We all saw what happened with the Manhattan fraud building ruling last week. People thought it was going to be less than $100 million. It wound up being over $350 million. Now they're saying that they don't want to grant Donald Trump a 30-day stay in you know, preparing his appeals process. We're going to be sitting down with the constitutional attorney and Trump lawyer, Jesse Benal, on our next show. 
and we'll be asking him specifically about that. And then, you know, and they're charging him interest too, right? Interest every day, $87,000 a day, I think it is. So if he got a 30-day stay, would that pause the interest too or no? I'm not sure, but we could check in with Jesse Benoit. I'm sure we'll ask him that question. And then now they're saying, like, if Donald Trump's going to screw around and this, that, and the other thing, well, well, maybe we'll just seize Trump Tower and put it up for auction while he's waiting. Like, this is just absolutely ridiculous. So where they're beating him up in the courtrooms, even though it seems like, man, did you hear what happened with, there was a, huge development in the Fannie Willis thing today. You know how that all went down with the testimony last week? No, I'm sure you caught up on the shows and saw that. Yeah. You know, they both had to testify and stuff. They both lied to the high heaven that the relationships didn't start, you know, before X date and that they never went to Y's house or, you know, Z's location. All lies. And I always carry around a briefcase full of $100 bills. So apparently the people that are investigating them in this ethics complaint have now introduced to the court cell phone data. Oh. Which include tower pingings. Ooh. Over 12,000 text messages, 18 hours of phone calls, and locations that they said never Damn. happened, that happened. Jeez. So She's now going to jail. they both lied under oath, and it looks like her father did too. So it's uh, Another huge, what appears to be a win, is we're getting ready to hear a ruling on that uh, as early as Wait, he Wednesday. lied about it being a black thing? No, not about it being a black thing. Like when the relationship <laughs> started and that they didn't hang out together and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm just making a joke. But guess what the uh, Democrats are digging up right now and, and trying to repin to Donald Trump? Any guess? Oh, what's he got? What do you, uh, let me guess. I got nothing. He's still a Russian asset. Oh, perfect. We're going to hear about that in a second. But before we do, let's hear House Minority Leader, remember, in official title only, Hakeem Jeffries, talk about how extraordinary Joe Biden is. In terms of President Biden, he's got an incredible track record of success. And we just have to connect that track record of success with his vision for the next four years. And make it clear that the things that he has presided over have been extraordinary. (laughs) <laughs> that was on the view also do you think that's the clown makeup meme right there Noah? that literally no, is it really is and you know they got nothing Mm-mm. they can't talk about policy as if as- they had anything it would have come out already if they had anything it would have come out at the beginning of him even poking his head out of his shell yeah. and joining politics you know, it's pretty funny. Did I just make Trump into a turtle? We already have one of those. Yeah, no. So I, w- I was going through some of the social medias yesterday, doing a little bit of research. I saw someone, I believe PBD posted it. And, and this is, I mean, we've referenced some of these. But he had a article from the New York Post dated July 16th, 1981. This was before two out of the three bunkers, the skiff, and the nine holes on the golf resort were completed at Mar-a-Lago. It was listed for sale. Guess how much? Remember, the the transformer judge in Goron said eighteen million. Take it or leave it. This is and I'm, I'm looking at a newspaper article from 1981. Twenty million. Mm-hmm. In in the eighties. In the eighties. In the eighties, which if you do inflation and. All that other fun else, stuff. That's, that's at least double minimum. 
So you're looking at like 40 million probably. I think uh, 50 to 150 million. No, exactly. Like, but but if you're going to use that, that uh, what that was worth then? It, yeah, yeah, I agree. So your favorite former redheaded White House press secretary, who now has her own show on MSNBC, she's still better than the one we have now. Hosted your favorite former drunk Speaker of the House, and they wanted to talk about how the Donald Trump Russia connection is still more important now than it ever was, and it's having a direct effect on this upcoming election. Think I'm bullshitting you? Let's hear it. Putin is probably the richest person in the world. Probably the richest person in the world. Forget all these ratings that people have. The richest person in the world. I think she's stirring her drink. also the most, well, not the most evil, stiff competition for that honor, but nonetheless uh, among the top three or four most evil people in the world. I'm just imagining your dentures clicking together like one of those little toy lined-up mouths. Be catering (laughs) to Putin, telling Putin, go into these countries, NATO countries. Oh, Donald Trump started the Ukraine war now. Oh, perfect. Russia, to keep Russia out. They have been successful for nearly 75 years. We will celebrate that uh, security success. And then we have, what's his name? I usually... Have him oh. nameless, saying oh. uh, he doesn't support NATO and and uh, uh, invite encouraging Russia to invade. Oh, now they NATO can't say country. Trump's name. He, he who shall not be named. I know Voldemort oh. well, so there's another guy kind of like him. What do you think? We're all wondering this question, <laughs> Speaker Pelosi. What do you think Putin has on him? I mean, it sure seems like something, as you've said a few times. Given that he refuses to criticize him, that he seems to be a fanboy mm. of him. Nancy Pelosi is wiping her nose are, are on live television. Uh, okay. the Mueller. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. But, uh, first of all, first of all, we must. I need a drink. Be sure that he does not step one foot into the White House, not as president or not as anything. He has brought Asshole. disgrace to the White House, to these presidents. What else? I talked about George Washington. It's also President's Week for uh, Abraham Lincoln. When Abraham Lincoln died, it was embroidered in his coat that night at that theater. One country, one destiny. And he gave his life to unify our country. And now we have someone who had the honor of serving in the White House, didn't consider it an honor, didn't consider his oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. And on this week, speaking out the way he did about Navalny shows you that he is a person without values. He looks like he's going to be a person without dollars either. But the values are what concern (laughs) us. Yes, the, the dollars. So I don't know what con- he has on him, but I think it's probably financial. I think it's probably financial, either something financial he has on him or something on the come. Yeah. I'm a what? You're a nasty person. It's a weird thing to bring up. All of that is nasty. <laughs> <laughs> she just reinvoked the Russian P taped. Yeah. I. I don't know but it doesn't matter because the people that are still listening to these people don't care, don't have any interest in being more well-informed. They are perfectly fine being these low-information... Mouth breathers. Mouth-breathing 
one party ticket vote blue no matter who idiots it's the truth and you want to talk about who one of the biggest proprietors of this misinformation is someone who can articulate it a lot better too is disgraced democrat house rep jamie raskin you know i don't wish bad on anybody but there was almost part of me earlier in the year when he was going through treatment for cancer that i was like "Mm, would it be a huge loss and now he has come back in full force first of all he was a part of that january 6th committee that completely destroyed all of the data that they had following it. Now they have no text messages, no emails, no documentations, apparently. In addition, he's been running around trying to sabotage House Republicans who are trying to stop anyone from voting and putting our country in more debt for things like the Ukraine aid package. Chuck Schumer's in Kiev today. Remember, Before it was killed in the House by Speaker Johnson, the Senate border agreement was the most important bill in the history of our country, according to Joe Biden. And it was so important now that Chuck Schumer is in Ukraine telling Vladimir, don't worry, my friend. We will get the Republicans to vote on it. And he's probably like, but uh, if if not cash, then then make it a loan. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, we will pay you back after the war. That guy won't even be living in Ukraine in a couple years if he doesn't get cooed. But Jamie Raskin jumped on with piece of shit Caitlin Collins last night on fake news CNN to talk to a little bit more unradical audience than you usually get on MSNBC to spit the absolute same lies. Let's hear it. This is all part of a propaganda and disinformation campaign by Russia oh, attempting to help say by Donald Trump. And, oh, you know, when we point out the very clear contours of this story... Our colleagues just start chanting, Russia hoax, Russia hoax. Well, what's the hoax? Is it the uh, the brutal invasion of Ukraine and the tens of thousands of Ukrainians who've died or oh. tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of Russians who've died? Is See it how he has to make it more Russians? Navalny that's the mm-hmm. hoax? What exactly is the hoax they're talking about? Because um, it seems to me that the most well, likely hoax is really Donald Trump, oh. who's been manipulated uh by Putin for a long time or is certainly in love with Vladimir Putin. Fuck you. I hate you. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'll tell you something. This is, this is what they're going to be doing now to deflect anything away from Joe Biden. Donald Trump is, a, I mean, Nancy Pelosi literally said that Donald Trump probably told Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine. I, I, <laughs> That is the dumbest shit you could possibly say. He literally said, if you try any of this shit, I'm going to nuke fucking Moscow. Embarrassing. It just is. You know what's not, though? Our podcast. So wherever you're Mm -hmm. listening to the show today, guys, hopefully it's on Apple Podcasts, but we're also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Make sure you subscribe to the show. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. In addition, we're on social media on Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell, We will keep you informed. So trying to put Joe Biden in a positive light is definitely not going to work. Nope. Lying about Donald Trump being a Russian asset, I don't think it's going to work anymore. Yeah, people hear that and it just falls on deaf ears now. They're like, yeah, you guys have been saying that forever. It's, you know, if they they were going to get him, if there was a gotcha, it would have happened already. I don't know how the lawfare is working for the radical left right now, but 
with my eyes physically, I can see Donald Trump's poll numbers going up every time he receives a horrible ruling that doesn't go in his favor. Oh, and on the, on the lines of the law, the lawfare and the money that he's going to have to pay, you know, for uh, for the the ruling. Yep. He's also got the true social. What was it? The uh, media, the yeah. stock. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to be one of the first podcasts that uh, is hosting Devin Nunes, who's the CEO of, of the Trump Media Group, as soon as that merger is complete in the next two weeks. So he's going to be nice. $4 billion he's going to be getting from that merger and acquisition. Better send us some merch. Right? So <laughs> what else could they possibly do? They're fighting for the trans. They're letting in the illegals. They're funding all the foreign wars. Hmm. I don't know if you heard this one this week, Noah. It's not going to be a shocker once you start hearing it, though. Let's check it out. Early in my term, I announced a major plan to provide millions of working families with debt relief for their college student debt. Uh. Tens of millions of people in debt were literally about to be canceled, their debts. But my MAGA Republican friends in the uh. Congress, elected officials and special interests, stepped in and sued us. And the Supreme Court blocked it. It blocked it. But that didn't stop me. I announced we were going to pursue alternative paths for student debt relief. Uh, for as many borrowers as possible. And that's the effort that's been underway the last two years. I fixed what's called the SAVE plan. It existed, but I fixed it to make it the most affordable repayment plan ever. Before I took office, student borrowers had to pay 10% of their discretionary income on a monthly basis. If they made less than, if they didn't have enough to do that, they were able to not have to pay that month, but their interest continued. A lot of people don't have the means to do that, though. Under my SAVE plan, we're cutting in half to 5% the undergraduate borrowers, what undergraduate borrowers have to pay after their living expenses are accounted for. That means no one with an undergraduate loan, whether it's a community college or a four-year college, will have to pay more than 5% of their discretionary income to repay those loans starting in July. And that's income after you pay for necessities like food and housing. Already 7.5 million Americans have enrolled in this so-called SAVE plan. And there's more than 4 million of those borrowers had their monthly payments dropped to zero if they were living paycheck to paycheck below a certain level. There it is. This plan mm-hmm. is the most generous repayment program ever, and today we're doing it even faster and quicker than ever before. I'm proud to announce our SAVE plan. We are immediately canceling the debt loans for over 150,000 borrowers nearly six months ahead of schedule. Starting today, we're canceling student debt for borrowers who are enrolled in the SAVE plan and have been paying student loans for as little as 10 years. If they took less than, if they borrowed less than $2,000, it's forgiven. $12,000, excuse me. It's Mm. the loan is forgiven. This action will be a huge help to graduates of community college and borrowers of smaller loans, putting them back on track faster for debt forgiveness than ever before. They just give shit away. So if nothing else works, bust out the pandering. You know what loans. they really should do? If you're going to do something positive with student loans, how about take away the financial incentive for these loan loaning uh, entities, entities to, 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 keep, to keep doing it? Yep. Why don't you just make it so, hey, guess what? If you have a student loan, from now on, there's going to be super, super low interest, less than 2% or no interest. You hear that number of people that they uh, canceled loans for this week? And and how how is canceling a loan any different than my fucking credit card debt? You it's wanna, the same shit. It's, it it's money I spent on something I wanted to do. 
Do you want to know so what the best part? Where's my fucking check, asshole? You mean asshole? Yeah, asshole. You want to know what the best part about it is? What? So what? He said 150 some odd thousand student loans were forgiven down to zero. Mitigated. That money was immediately taken out of these student loan accounts and poured directly into the taxes of the parents who sent their kids to school. So now the parents, yeah, you, you don't just think this money is getting erased. Oh no, no, the the it's you're robbing the taxpayers to pay for gender studies majors and yeah. fucking Starbucks baristas. And now these kids that will live at home forever because their degree is essentially worthless will now have to deal with their parents paying increased taxes across the country and across the board. It hits everybody, but I just think it's ironic that the people, the parents of these mutants who are getting their student loans forgiven are now having to pay higher taxes because that's where Joe Biden is deciding to sprinkle the remains of all this money that's owed to the colleges and universities and banks now. I kind of wish I had student loans. I feel like I'm getting left out here on the free shit. I'm not, a, I'm not an illegal alien. I don't have a fucking college degree. Like, well, I'm just missing out. Like, how do I get money? Uh, excuse me, sir. Do you have a forklift certification card? I, I mean, I'm not. I, me working for a living is completely <laughs> moot at this point because that's not what we're talking about. I know. Whatever they don't take in taxes, now they take at the grocery store. It's awful. Yeesh. Last clip I got before we jump in with former Missouri governor, great friend of the show, Eric Greitens. So what if none of that works? What do the Dems do? I've already told you what the alternative is. It's Kakala herself. But is she ready? She was asked. Let's hear it. Those concerns specifically, if he had to pass the powers to you for one second, one minute, heaven forbid, and you know, I ask with all due respect, but you know, would you, are you capable? Are you ready to step into the role and do whatever the country would need? absolutely ready. But thank God our president is in good shape and good health and is ready to lead in our second term. no, he's not. Jesus. No, he's not. not and not. anybody who sees a fucking adult who th- who's trying to purport themselves as not being mentally deficient should know that they are fucking lying. They know 100% this guy is not able, not able to be fucking president anymore. And it's insanity at the highest levels for people to just completely disregard that and like oh everything's gonna be fine you know the fucking country's been literally torpedoed from inside and we're just gonna keep doing that and vote for this guy again and there's a lot of people that they may not be able to stomach voting for trump but if if you're one of those people just sit it out don't vote at all because if you can't fucking throw your vote towards the person who wants to fix everything like when you ever hear joe biden go and his MAGA policies and his MAGA message. It's like, do do you understand what that means? Make America great again? He's trying to fix the country. He's trying to have prosperity. He's trying to have energy independence and a a, a reawakening of the people that live in this country. Like, Mm -hmm. it's fucking wild. It's so wild. And when you look at the alternative to Kamala Harris and how disconnected her office has been with Joe Biden's throughout the entirety. I mean, we've heard all the stories, the horror stories that all they do is fight. I hate her. She fights with and fires frequently staffers. Uh, they try to bring in DEI hires for her office, and she can't stand them and fires them within, like, weeks of them giving up their jobs to come work in the White House. And, you know, for someone that served in the Senate, she's got no connection over there. 
It just seems like she goes out like once or twice a month to do her little song and dance with like some rapper or an actor or actress for some FaceTime. And but I tell you what, trust me, behind the scenes they're prepping her because they know he ain't gonna make it. And uh, and how does she sound so retarded every time she speaks? Like you you almost have to think it's an act at this point. And then like all of a sudden she's gonna get thrust into the spot of being president, and it's gonna be like she's has a PhD fucking savant that's <laughs> it's the truth it's you, you know we're going to be asking florida representative Corey mills if at all yet house republicans are starting to because i mean every day with joe biden he's a fall down the stairs away from not being president anymore let's just be honest with ourselves here if they well, are getting ready for the reality of what a president harris could look like but that will be to the start of our next all new friday edition of the podcast we're going to be ending this one right now with former governor of Missouri, Eric Greitens, back from hiatus with us. Before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.coffee. All right, joining us next on this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the former governor of Missouri, Navy SEAL, Rhodes Scholar, New York Times bestselling author, one of our great friends. Very excited to circle back with Mr. Eric Reitens. Welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. It is great to be back on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I think the biggest thing that our listenership is going to be anticipating when they see you're on the show today is uh, what have you been up to for the last couple of months? Because we have missed catching up with you. You know, things are things are awesome, man. Things have been very, very good. They're going uh, going incredibly well. Uh, big, big, you know, most fun thing is that my boys are seven and nine years old and we've been having lots of great dad adventures. So that's been fun. And uh, I think you're. Uh, your listeners might enjoy it. I'm working on a new book. So, you know, we've talked about uh, about the other books. The last one was on resilience. This book is called The Ultimate Rebellion. Why don't you give yeah. us a little bit of insight onto what that's going to be yeah. about? Yeah, well, it's really about what needs to happen for, for men, families, and communities to really revive the republic as we come through this tremendous period of crisis. Um I think we have to recognize that what we all grew up with and what we spent, you know, uh, for me as a SEAL, for a lot of guys in, in the military, for men and women who've served in law enforcement, for everybody who grew up wanting to defend the Republic, we need to recognize that we're in a, we're in a new chapter now and we're going to have to rebuild that there are serious forces that have taken down the rule of law. They have opened the border, working to actively destroy the economy, destroy the culture. And a lot of the things that we grew up thinking would be enough, just you know, voting, participating in politics, showing up at a town hall meeting, that those kinds of things are not gonna be enough um, any longer. That if we really wanna revive the Republic, it's gonna start with a real focus on personal excellence, getting stronger, more independent, wealthier, taking care of ourselves, our families, our communities. And this book is really a prescription about how we do that together. 
You know, I, I can't be more excited for you to tell our listenership about that. And that's just the thing. In, in this near end of Republic times that we're in right now, the, one of the biggest components outside of literal politics is the backbone of what kind of makes everything get better again. And I think the way that the, the world socially and civilly has looked at man overall, especially here in places like the United States where the culture counterculture has been raging out of control for decades – it just seems like having a strong man as part of the foundation of what not only makes the homework, but this country work, it seems that we're just lacking of it in this country right now. And it's almost pushed away to the side like, oh, well, you could definitely do it without it. And, and if you just look back historically for, you know, since the dawn of time, that's just not the way the world works. It, it is not the way the world works. And specifically, it's not the way the American Republic works. The founding fathers, let's remember, they disagreed with each other about very many things, but they all agreed that the republic would only work if you had strong individual men, if you had strong individual citizens who could be the backbone of the republic. It's why they started the public library here in the United States of America. This was an invention because the idea was you had to have educated citizens who took part in civic life who helped to build businesses, who, who defended the country, who took care of their friends and their family. And what you have by contrast now is a culture which is actually designed to make people weak. It is designed to make people depressed. It is designed to give people anxiety. It is designed to push them into the disease profit system where they are, where they are profit. And the entire system of politics is built around actually profiting from citizens rather than protecting their God-given liberty, which is what the Republic was founded to do. Well, I've got to get credit where credit is due, Governor. I mean, you bring a lot to the table to add to a book of this nature, not only, you know, in the home where you're obviously you have been a, a husband, you're a father to your two boys, you served in the military, you were a Rhodes Scholar, you were the governor of the state of Missouri showing public service, you've done humanitarian work all over the globe. It should be a, an absolutely phenomenal read, and I can't wait to start sharing the pre-order with our listenership here on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, brother. Once uh, once we're, we've, we've got it, we've got it ready, I'll, I'll come back on with you. Absolutely fantastic. I do want to jump into some current events, though. I think namely oh, we're going to be seeing the South Carolina primary tomorrow. It looks like Donald Trump is uh, romping and stomping his way to pretty much an uncontested Republican nomination pretty soon. Should have it wrapped up shortly after Super Tuesday and by mid-March. But, you know, have you seen Donald Trump's rise back through the successes he's having in this campaign as essentially a non-incumbent incumbent? He was the president before Joe Biden who's currently the president right now. It's only happened one time in, in the history of the country, and, and it shows uh, you, you actually get to see the other side of the coin in real time, you know, term, break in term, term. And uh, at this point, Donald Trump, even with all the lawfare and, and the 90% of negative news that he receives in the mainstream media, seems to be doing just fine when it comes to the polls and on the campaign trail. Not like they're taking any time off, but the fact of the matter is they've run a hell of a race to this point. Yeah, look, the Trump team has done an extraordinary job. President Trump leading that team has done an extraordinary job. And absolutely, he's obviously cruising towards the nomination. I think that it's a real testament to the quality of what he produced as president. And the mainstream media wants to lie and they want to engage in all of their assaults on the character of people who were supporting President Trump. But one of the things that I wrote about a long time ago is that one of the hidden weapons of President Trump is what he actually accomplished. 
Okay, you look at what's happening in the Middle East. President Trump got the got the Abraham Accords done, right? And to, to keep to keep a perspective about how valuable that was, the last time that a president had created peace between Israel and another nation was was way back in 1973 with Egypt, and then before that, it was it was with with Jordan. So the President Trump was able to do that in the Middle East. And then you look at what's happening abroad uh, in, in the Middle East today. You look at what's happening in terms of our relationship with Russia yeah. and Ukraine and the difference in President Trump. And then, of course, you look at what's happening at home, whether you're talking about the border, about the economy, about the way President Trump did a, did a, a great job reforming the VA to support veterans. All of these things people recognized as achievements, and they also see the absolute failure of the Biden administration. And that's one of the reasons why there's so much tremendous support out there for the president. Now, I do want to ask you two questions regarded to this uh, race right now, and it's like two-pointed. One is more personal for you, and one is kind of the broad stroke of the way politics work. You being involved in politics so long, Governor, you know, you saw all the dirty tricks, both uh, through candidacy and probably more specifically with the lawfare. Now, when you look at Donald Trump and what's left of the race in the Republican primary, it's not very much of it to say the least, but... Nikki Haley, what is the deal between the establishment and and all of the industrial complexes getting behind her right now to kind of, you know, just be a thorn in Donald Trump's side? She's not a legitimate contender. She's running essentially as a Democrat when you listen to a lot of what her platform is or how she kind of pontificates when she goes into the news. And then the lawfare component of this whole thing. No one saw lawfare, you know, and took it head on more than you did and during the time that you were in politics up to this point. And, and to see what Donald Trump has had to go through with all the civil cases and the allegations, you know, that he's essentially the same as a confederate general etc it just seems to be uh, they are doing everything they can in, in their absolute power right now to make sure that this guy doesn't win in november yeah brother you put your finger on the two big issues and the first one your listeners know this it's always important to be reminded of it the republican establishment is an anti-trump establishment the republican establishment is in favor of and funded by all of the lobbyists, the lobbyists in the disease profit industry, the lobbyists in every industrial complex that is designed to profit from you, not to protect you. That is designed to actually empower the establishment and, and actually hurt you. And President Trump, because he stood up for the people, has been the enemy of the establishment. I faced the exact same thing as governor. The number of principled conservatives there are is actually fewer than the number of crazy leftists combined with the cowardly and corrupt Republican establishment. And that's why this is actually a fight where citizens have to come in and they have to support um, support President Trump and support other anti-establishment candidates. And then second, to your point on lawfare, it's so important to recognize how critical this moment is in the history of the Republic. So let's remember what happened. The Roman Republic came to an end. People remember Caesar brought his army across the Rubicon. Why did he do that? He brought them across because he faced a choice. He could either face an unjust, politically motivated prosecution at home, or he could bring his army across. And he brought his army across, and that was the end of the Roman Republic. 
You think about the end of the golden age of Greece. What happened there? Greece used to be, it was the home of rational scientific inquiry. It was the home where men were able to stand up and actually speak their own thoughts. And then after Athens lost the Peloponnesian War, they descended into civil war. And what happened? They murdered Socrates. Why? For asking uncomfortable questions yep. in unjust trial. When you destroy the rule of law, you rip out the heart of any republic, any just city-state, and that's what they're doing in the United States of America. This is not just an assault against President Trump. It is an assault on the very foundation of what it means to have a country where there's equal justice under the law. It's wild, you know, and when you talk about the one of the other major components that contributed to the fall of both Rome and Greece back in the day, it was the unmitigated migration that was allowed into those countries towards yes. the end of both republics. We're seeing that on the southern border. Listen, in addition to your deployments when you were a Navy SEAL and the military governor, you also did a lot of humanitarian work around the world. How big of, a, of an inflection point is our country in it right now? I mean, I know they've been trying to pump out these numbers anywhere between like five, six or seven. There's been so many more millions of people led into this country since the start of the Biden administration. They're not even including getaways and people who were, you know, wrapped up in the MPP program of remaining in Mexico when Joe Biden took office, which, you know, essentially you could say there has been as many as 15 million people led into this country in the course of the last three and a half years. We cannot sustain this. Uh, you're seeing major cities all throughout the United States falling apart. New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, under the guise of, of trying to live under this system. What is the solution for this? And do you think our country can bounce back from such a huge immigration black mark on our record over the course of the last administration? Look, one of the things that people always appreciate about me, and I think they appreciate better about you, is that I'm always straight with people. Sure. This is a massive problem. Even if today you were able to create a completely and totally secure southern border, the damage that has been done to the country is massive. And why do they do this? Because it's like putting salt in a soup, right? Once people are dispersed throughout the United States of America, it's very, very hard to, there's, there's a process, many processes where it's hard to, it's easier to stop something from coming in than to actually take it out of the take it out of the soup. Okay. And why are they doing this? They're doing this with the very clear intent of destroying the country. That's their that's their objective. And I've been down on the southern border. I've been down and I've watched hundreds of people come across the southern border. Joe Biden, as everyone who listens to your show knows. They are advocating, facilitating this mass migration into the United States of America, which includes obviously criminal elements. It includes terrorist elements, includes tremendous amounts of, of human traffickers. The first thing that has to be done, of course, is that you have to actually secure, uh, you, have, you have to secure the border. But this is going to be a big problem. It's going to last for a long time. Um, you know, you mentioned I, I was a Navy SEAL. I, I was honored to serve in Iraq and Afghanistan and Southeast Asia and the Horn of Africa. We face an incredibly capable and very intelligent enemy. I would be absolutely surprised, flabbergasted if Iran has not funded, because the border is completely open, dozens of cells, and they can do this at very, very low cost, dozens of cells of terrorists who can live in the United States of America for years. 
It costs them very little money. It's extraordinarily easy to do logistically, and they can be on call. So it's a threat at so many different levels. And the first thing that we obviously have to do is actually secure secure the southern border. Yeah, it's uh, the largest component of it right there. And I mean, regardless of what happens or not during the course of the rest of Joe Biden's time in office, hopefully on the other end of the ballot box on November 5th, we'll be looking forward to uh, doing that come January 2025. Governor, last thing I want to touch with you on, uh, you could tease for our listenership. We know we got the new book coming down the pike. Very excited for that. But do you have any uh, insight onto what your future plans might be outside of uh, becoming a New York Times bestselling author yet again? Well, thanks, brother. I, I I appreciate that. You know, look at looking down the line. I have spent my whole life um, in service to the country, and if there are ways for me to continue to serve, I'm going to continue to to do that. Um, I believe that now more than ever, uh, we need to have people of character and courage and honor and integrity step up across the country and be willing to do things that we haven't done before. So I'll do everything that I can to make sure that we get President Trump um, elected in November. And if there are ways to, to serve in and support his administration moving forward, of course, I'd be honored to do that. I also think it's really important, and I love what you guys do on the Steak for Breakfast podcast, because for us to win this fight, it's really important for everybody here. This is not just a political fight, guys. It is a cultural fight. Correct. It's a fight over information. And that's why I'm so I'm honored to be on with you again. I appreciate what you guys are doing. People, it's places like Steak for Breakfast where people can come and they can get a real, honest conversation. They can get intelligent, thoughtful uh, news and information that's not not filtered by the corporate media. We have to have more and more people who are stepping up and doing what you guys are doing. So consider me an ally in that fight as well, brother. Hey, as always, one team, one fight. Governor, we're going to be live linking your website in the show description today. Anybody that wants to follow you on social media and check out all the great stuff you've got going on, where can they find you? I, I we'd in, welcome everybody to come out to ericgreitens.com. It's E-R-I-C-G-R-E-I-T-E-N-S.com. That's the website. And all the socials are at Eric Greitens. Absolutely fantastic. We'll be looking to sit down with you again real soon. This is the former governor of Missouri, one of our great friends. Governor Eric Greitens, thanks for joining us on the show today. Have a fantastic weekend. You bet, brother. Thank you. Guys, we're coming back with another all-new edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. So sit back, relax, and let us change the way you consume your news.